There's a handful of things in life that I know that I'm good at. Running a successful podcast, for one, a website, photography, menu consulting, etc. But one of the things where I need help is my gardening, specifically culinary gardening. It's one thing to have a nice succulent or a pretty plant to look at, but there's nothing like growing your own food, herbs, and more. That's why I turn to my friend and friend of the Best Seeds podcast, Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potage, for all things culinary gardening. She's an expert through and through who's worked with some of the best chefs and restaurants here in Orange County. Just see the work that she did up at the amazing Poppy and Seed in Anaheim, or some of the work she's doing with chefs like Zach Scher over at the Bellow Chef's Table. She's talented, witty, incredibly smart, and a consummate professional through and through. Whether you're running a restaurant program, a craft cocktail program, or you just want to start growing some great food at home, she has everything you need and more. So to get more information, set up a consultation, or just to see some of the things that she's done in the past, check out heirloompotage.com for more information. I cannot recommend her services enough. Regardless of the fact that she's a supporter of the show, I still use her services even outside of the best seats. A consummate professional through and through, I cannot recommend Heirloom Potage enough for all things culinary gardening. Once again, that's heirloompotage.com. This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 128 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality community from right here in Orange County to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. As always, I'm your host, Croft McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. Thank you to my friend, Allie Coyle, who does the music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. And I know that she's been playing some live gigs recently around here in Orange County, up at the Wayfair and a couple other spots in LA. So be sure to go to AllieCoyleMusic.com and check out her live performances. As a reminder, if you're listening on free feeds, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review. It helps other folks discover the show. Again, these days you got to play with the algorithm, and it seems like everybody's got one. Do not forget that you can go to thebestseats.com for more content to just like this. You can check out the blog. You can submit stories for the newest show. I know what you did last Sunday. You can check out merch and more. There should be some new stuff dropping um, relatively soon. Again, this is getting recorded right before Thanksgiving. I'm hoping to get some stuff out by Cyber Monday. But regardless, there's going to be new stuff out pretty soon just because the store needs some new designs. Um, but do not forget the very best place to experience everything that the best seats is doing and trying to do is found on patreon.com forward slash the best seats where so many of you support each and every month. It is greatly appreciated whether you are at the lowest tier, the highest tier, advertising tier, whatever tier you select. That is where you get early ad free listening to each and every episode, exclusive access to the bonus episodes and exclusive access to the newest show, which depending on when you're listening to this, it may have um, already premiered. If not, there's a teaser up for it right now called I Know What You Did Last Sunday, where we are reading, reacting to, and rating 
your very best Sunday scary stories, whether it's a brunch gone wrong, a bad service, whatever it may be. You can learn more about that on thebestseats.com or Patreon, though. Let's jump into the episode. Um, my guest for this one, Chef William Mike of Matsu down in Oceanside. Uh, Matsu's a restaurant that I've been incredibly, incredibly interested in uh, since it opened its doors just about two years ago. But Chef William Mike is somebody that I was very fortunate to interview very early, kind of when I first started doing this uh, several, several years ago, pre-COVID, things like that, when I really made a big life transition and, and chose to kind of pursue my passion um, for food and drink and hospitality. He is immensely, immensely talented. And his restaurant is a Japanese restaurant that is firing on cylinders that, frankly, the fact that it doesn't already have Michelin stars is a little astounding. Um, his talent level is next. It, it's I've never seen anything like it for this kind of area. He's this chef that just has this attention to detail that is surgical in its precision. There is not a single aspect of his restaurant that is overlooked. As you'll hear in the main show, it took him over two years just making sure the design was correct for service and that experience was correct and that every little detail of opening up a fine dining Japanese restaurant was done with respect and acknowledgement of tradition and heritage of Japanese cuisine, Japanese people, Japanese culture, and the country itself. It's not a restaurant that's trying to say it makes inspired or authentic or something like that. It just is high, high level cooking Japanese food. And it is staggering. He is a very, very talented individual. Um, I'm a big fan of Oceanside in general. It's a place that I really love for foodies, whatever term you want to use. Um, it's a destination through and through. San Diego County itself is just starting to kind of reckon with it and really getting their hands around just how many talented people there are. If you've been listening to this show for a while, then you know some of the people that we've had on this show before. The team down at Dijamara, obviously Danny Castillo and his team down there with their new heritage beer concept. There's a lot of people doing great stuff. Even on the drink side, Tony Juarez, back when he was working in Oceanside, their program at um, a restaurant was really, really next level. It's a destination and it's a really freaking good one. So I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful. Again, he took the time during a uh, day off when the restaurant was closed to sit down. We were supposed to do this today, uh, the day before, but I had something come up. So he was nice enough to reschedule last minute. I don't want to ramble on anymore because this man has got some stuff to say and you need to hear it and then you need to go eat his food. So maybe before you hit play, go make a reservation and then hit play on episode 128 of the Best Seats podcast featuring Chef William Ike of Matsu. Enjoy. Chef, very excited to be down here at Matsu in Oceanside. Well, down here for me, maybe up for some other people. Um, and incredibly appreciative of you doing this on a day off. We were supposed to record yesterday. Sadly, I had something that I had to deal with at home, but we are here in the restaurant, incredibly stunning space. And I am incredibly excited to dive into not just Matsu, but kind of your entire background, your ethos, and the way that you've not just approached kind of this restaurant, but your cooking in general. Before we do that, would you mind taking a moment to introduce yourself and give a little bit of your background? I'm Chef William Mike, owner and chef of Matsu here in Oceanside, California. Um, kind of had my whole career down in San Diego County for the most part. There's a little bit of collaborations that have happened here and there. Um, one semi-recently up in LA, which is really cool. But most of my cooking career has been strictly San Diego County. Uh, started in Japanese restaurants. Uh, the restaurant was called Tomiko. It was in Encinitas. It's long closed. Uh, 
beautiful spot. It was overlooking all of Moonlight Beach, just kind of right there on Encinitas Boulevard. Um, then kind of bounced around and just worked at Italian bistros and f- a couple fine dining spots, a couple fast food spots. I've done pretty much anything, everything in between. And then I was running a spot called Mission Avenue Bar and Grill where we met. Yeah. Um, ran that for three years, kind of on the dot. You know, the day I started was the day I left. Uh, but three years later, obviously. Okay, that's really taking the efficiency <laughs> thing a little far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't really planned that way. It just kind of <laughs> ended up happening. Um, but you ran that for three years. And then after my first official trip to Japan, was just like, okay, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to cook. Um, obviously, I want to do it in my own style and very minimal, kind of focusing on the terroir of Southern California. Um, but I wanted to cook in the Japanese traditions and techniques and use those flavor profiles as something I've searched for for so long and wanted to like help people understand what Japanese food really is. Because, you know, Americans, we know ramen, we know sushi, and we know maybe some teppanyaki or some type of like grilling and meats. Yeah. But there's so much more to it and so much more involved in the traditions and like even way back that you don't really see much of anymore. And it's like, okay, we're going to take all those ideals and use them in our cooking here at Matsu, but play with what kind of grows and goes here. Like we forged radishes the other day. We've got pine needles on the menu right now. Like there's a, there's a lot to it. Um, and if we can't find the best quality ingredient locally, we do source some fish from Japan and a couple other key ingredients like our sugars and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's just better quality. Yeah, that makes that's sense. really what it's about. And obviously, if you're going to adhere to that tradition and kind of the the ethos of it, some of those ingredients, just frankly, it, it, the same thing that can be said for like Indian cooking, things like that. Some of those ingredients yeah. you just cannot get here. Yeah. Plain and simple. Yeah. I mean, we have like an Okinawan brown sugar. It's mm-hmm. the healthiest sugar in the world. It's just unrefined. There's no molasses. It, we use it exclusively like almost throughout the entire menu. There's no white sugar with the exception of our sorbet and our ice cream. Uh, we can't get the same flavor profiles without it. Yeah. It is the best sugar in the world. And we use that specifically for that reason. And it's also the world's healthiest sugar. So we're also providing the guests with something that's better for them. I know. It sounds like an oxymoron, like the world's healthiest sugar. Yeah, I know. Days. I know. Like, right. It, it's just, it's sugar's <laughs> evil, but all right. Yeah. For this one to be healthy. Well, yeah. you, you mentioned something right off the bat. I never come into these um, episodes. 99% of the time, I don't have preloaded questions. Mm-hmm. I really want the conversation to be organic. I think anybody that's listening to the show picks up on that. But there was something that I wanted to ask you because, I mean, again, I'm a white guy. You're a white guy. You mentioned a lot of people's main understanding is sushi, ramen, and then, yeah, maybe some like yakitori things or things like that if they've been to like an izakaya restaurant in Los Angeles. But uh, for a lot of the dining public, I would say that there is a misunderstanding about Japanese culture. Before you even started, was there any hesitation about even though you had the passion and the drive, which we're going to get into as the episode keeps going, but was there ever an, an initial hesitation of being the guy to deliver some of those new flavors and experiences and, and kind of translate the Japanese dining experience? Uh, yes and no. Um, yes, because obviously who I am. Yeah. Um, but no, because I knew if I paid the respect to the culture and really, really dove into it, the Japanese guests coming in would understand it. They'd see it. They'd taste it. Uh, even down to like our service styles and stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we uh, it's called Oshobori. They give you a wet towel at the beginning of your meal. We do that. 
there's not really any other restaurants, say for maybe one or two fine dining restaurants and usually the Japanese that are doing that. And we're even paying attention to that tradition of the service style beyond just the food. The second those people sit down, they're like, okay, yeah, you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Everything's fine. We get it. Um, As long as we were respectful, I I was like, okay, I'm confident. Uh, One of my other friends who owns a sushi restaurant, again, white guy, and he's like ginger from UK, you know, the whole nine. Uh, But he came up under a lot of Japanese sushi chefs. And he's also said that kind of the same thing. If we're respectful... And we've learned from the guys that are Japanese doing it that way. We want to preserve their traditions. And a lot of them are starting to get away from it, um, especially as they kind of westernize, which is fine. That's cool. Um, We're trying to sit there and say, we want to preserve what you guys have done for so long. And we want to be respectful about it. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing that gave us all the confidence in the world to do our restaurants. I think he's at like, Seven restaurants right now. Is that uh, that's uh, Davin? David Wade. David um, Wade. Yeah. Down at Wrench and Roden. Yeah. He's got plots, a vegan restaurant. Um, they're actually popping one up in Costa Mesa, hopefully January. I think they have an inspection. To Very get excited for that. No, shout out to him. I mean, anybody who's yeah. not familiar with his food, he's somebody that I want to get on the podcast at some point in the future. He's a very important chef to watch, I think, as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask that question, I guess. But that's it, kind of the one thing and the reason that I want to talk to you is A, when we first met, um, and I want to say, what, four years ago at this point, it was probably pre-COVID. Um, Definitely. You, you, know, you were nice enough to serve me food after the meal, but then you brought out a dish that was basically, I want to say it was bluefin, but it was just like the, like just the belly, um, so the, like the toro o toro, yeah. and you did it in like a reduced chicken fat stock or something like that. And I knew right then that this was not inspired by Japanese. This was not trying to you know be authentic like you know a lot of the pr press releases that i get about new mexican restaurants are like authentic we'll transport you to tulum i'm like no this Mm -hmm. is japanese food this is yeah phenomenal the only thing that's missing is the fact that i'm in california and not you know tokyo at the moment yeah and i knew right there that it was going to be respectful but i mean sitting in this place now again like i said i get a lot of press releases hey we're going to transport you to tulum we're going Mm -hmm. to transport you to places this i've never been in japan Sadly, it's one of my dream bucket list places to go. This feels what I imagine Japan feels like for a, a fine dining restaurant. I mean, this it's, is a stunning space. I mean, I studied for, what, two and a half years just on what I wanted it to look like in the restaurant. Besides just the food and everything else, mm-hmm. it was down to the chair, down to the table, down to how the front door looked, how the restaurant was. A lot of this space, so this used to be another restaurant. I was going to ask, what was like the space before and um, how'd you find it? It was a gastropub before. A uh, good friend of mine. Bought a building down the street because his lease was up here. Called me. He's like, hey, my mm-hmm. landlord doesn't want to deal with, you know, going through brokers and all that stuff. Do you, are you interested in the space? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. The rent was like well under market value. So I'm like, cool. Perfect. Um, obviously risky because it was right as the pandemic was starting to open back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of the infrastructure was in the building, but we obviously had to do some painting. I did all the plumbing for the bar myself. Good for you. Uh, all the shelves that are kind of at the back of the restaurant, I had to redo those. Uh, we brought in all new kitchen equipment. Um, so a lot of the a lot of the big project stuff or the construction was kind of done by me and a few other friends, re- realistically. So we built this for pennies on the dollar. Like it looks a lot more expensive than what we spent, which is cool. It's gorgeous. Um, yeah. We had a local young kid do all the tables. They're all custom handmade. There's no like screws holding them together they're all press fit uh 
I don't even know if he's doing that. It was kind of a side gig for him. <laughs> he's an elementary school teacher or like a middle school nice. teacher locally. Uh, he did a phenomenal job. Like yeah. The whole community came together to make this happen. It was really cool. What's the response been? I mean, obviously anybody who wants to Google this restaurant is going to see what a lot of the response has been. But what was the initial response kind of like? Was there any hesitation of... You know, Oceanside's very relaxed. It's mm-hmm. it's very relaxed. I mean, even the places that have opened uh, recently, friends of the show, Danny Castillo with the, you know, Heritage Beer Co. and yeah. stuff like that. I mean, He's the place awesome. we were at before, Mission, you know, that was relaxed. I mean, yeah. this is a fine dining establishment for a cuisine that, like we kind of said, a lot of people don't necessarily go to when they think fine dining. It's not your kind of classic, you know, big old steakhouse type of thing or, yeah. or I guess some of those more traditional French ones that people think of, but... I mean, this is a phenomenal restaurant, and anybody who Googles it will find that out immediately, even if they haven't been here. Yeah. What was the opening week like for you? Crazy, but in a fun way, in a yeah. good way. It seemed like we were dialed in from day one. That's excellent. Uh, we got really good response for the most part. I mean, obviously, at a price point, and yeah, yeah, we're in Oceanside. We were the first tasting menu style restaurant in o- in Oceanside, um, and Vi down the street opened up like a month after we did, and. Mm-hmm. Roberto's a good friend. So, you know, we were just like, yeah, when are you opening? When are you opening? I want to open. We weren't like, who's going to open first? Yeah. It was just like, I want to come eat your food. Hurry up and open because I want to be there too. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, we had really good response at first, obviously at a certain price point. Even then it was like, okay, we're the definitely the most expensive restaurant in the area. Um, So there was a little bit of that. And then obviously a white guy cooking Japanese food, there was a little pushback. Yeah. You know, is it really that good? Especially, really especially around that opening time, it seemed like the media was hyper-focused on kind of that aspect yeah. of things. And yeah. not wrongfully so in a lot of aspects, but yeah. it was there was a hyper-focus on it, it seemed. Yeah. Um, I mean, we had people, exactly, you know, you're gentrifying Japanese yeah. food and culture, and we're like, okay, come sit down and eat. Yeah, come That's, try it. Don't, don't even look at me, look at the food, look at the plate, look at what we're doing. Um, and we got a lot of backlash for even like one of our other concepts that's now closed using the word Oceanside-o, which is how you say Oceanside in Japanese. Yeah. And the guy's like, that's not how you say it. And I'm like, yeah, actually it is. <laughs> I don't know what to tell <laughs> well, you. I hate to tell you, but it is. <laughs> it is. He's like, you, you, you just use Google. I'm like, no, actually I didn't. Um, <laughs> kind of speak the language a little bit there, guy. I'm like, so where are you from? Like, what prefix are you from? He's like, no, no, I'm from Vietnam. I'm like, uh, okay. Perfect, perfect response. I'm like, okay, sure. Um, <laughs> Like here, here you go. Here's the information. This is how you spell it. This is how the hiragana looks. And he's like, "Oh, okay, never mind." Like, you <laughs> yeah. know, I spent a lot of time trying to make sure we did this right. Yeah. Uh, so we're again being respectful. Uh, and the second people actually understood that, super, super welcome to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the accolades, the media accolades, especially, um, have, and it's really made me happy to see this because I kind of selfishly knew off the bat after tasting your food, and I inherently knew that there was going to be a, a massive level of respect paid um, culturally, aesthetically, historically, mm-hmm. experiential-wise, I mean, everything. Um, was it a relief to see that type of press come in? Did the press matter? I mean, it's always, it always feels good, and it always drives in a customer yeah. base. Or did it, is there now added pressure? Both. I mean, realistically, both. Um, I mean, there was even an article out recently that was like, hey, uh, this restaurant is super special and a lot of the major foodies don't know about it or just aren't going or, you know, whatever it is. But this is better than most of the starred restaurants in this state. Yeah. And yeah, that's huge pressure. That's massive pressure. It's a reason why I I don't want three stars. I will admittedly say when the stars came out, I was... 
this was one I was actually pissed for. I mean, again, take the stars. <laughs> I mean, again, the stars are a whole different, not even episode, just entire podcast series on their own where yeah. people stand on them and not. But yeah, I mean, this one I think is very deservedly so, but that's my, my two cents on it. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a, it's a big reason why I always tell people I don't want three stars. I don't want to be a three star chef. Yeah. The goal is two for sure. I mean, that's, that's where we eventually want to go with it. I feel like we can continue to push and be more creative and take the risks that two. And, I feel like three is so much pressure. You have to play defense. You don't play offense. No. At three stars. No, I don't think there's any progression at that point. I think yeah. it's just retention and just consistency. Yeah. yeah, which is great. I mean, that's the name of the game. Consistency. If you're that good, you need to stay that good. But three is too much pressure. Yeah, and agreed. not just from a personal level. It's just like you're going to come in here and you're going to expect the world. You're going to expect chandeliers and you're going to expect gold you know, forks and knives and stuff. And there's none of that here. No, I, I had a friend who had a dining experience recently in New York City at a three-star restaurant, um, and she was even saying that the entire service staff only walks, I think she said counterclockwise. No one ever walks clockwise. So the entire mm-hmm. service staff around the entire restaurant, so there's never people crisscrossing. Everything is clean. It maintains like the clean line. And I'm like, that's, that's not fun anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so interesting. It's a little weird, but yeah. I will say um, I did have an experience at Single Thread up in Hellsburg. Yeah. It seemed very relaxed. Yeah, that's it what I've heard It seemed about like... Just so flawless. Like everyone was just awesome. Um, and after dining there, because a lot of the initial stuff um, was kind of based similarly to what they were doing, not just from that experience, but I'm like, okay, mentalities, you know, uh, philosophies on food, stuff like that. Uh, having dined there, I'm like, okay, this is different than other three stars. Yeah. Yeah. This is natural for all them. Uh, and that's what we try to do here. Like, yeah, we're going clockwise, counterclockwise around tables and stuff. So everyone gets their food at the same time, but mm-hmm. at the same time, that's what you pay for in a fine dining restaurant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but we're a little bit more personable. It's not so robotic, especially when you start asking questions and diving into things like by all means, go up to Roland, our bar manager and sit there and ask him about whiskey. He'll talk your ear off for like four hours. <laughs> you give him the chance. He will not stop. And that's, but that's what we want. Yeah. We want to just kind of be friendly. Well, you're also waylaying kind of into my next question, which you mentioned in the opening, talking about the restaurant and, and kind of the ethos behind it is educating. And mm-hmm. there is an air of education, um, I think, with any fine dining experience, but I think with most really dedicated fine dining experiences, yeah. like when there's a passion behind it, it doesn't have to be three star. It doesn't have to be again, dive hole in the wall on Yelp. Yeah. It doesn't matter. There's always going to be a little bit of education going on when there's that passion behind it. But you mentioned educating people beyond their preconceived notions of what Japanese cuisine can be. I mean, yeah. because there is regionality, there is terroir, there are different mm-hmm. practices. I mean, there are practices that go back way beyond anything that I, I've even probably ever heard of, or even some experts have. Can you talk about that aspect of the restaurant a little bit? And then also what are some of those things that people are going to see that they may not have before? Uh, I mean, you're going to see a lot here. You haven't seen before. Um, mostly because my mentality and the minimalism that goes into the food uh, like we have a dish, probably my favorite dish on the menu and a few other people's favorites for sure. Um, and we'll talk about two specifically, but the first one is the sunflower and squid. Squid from Japan, like the best quality squid I've ever seen in my life. And mm-hmm. it's just phenomenal. Um, sometimes it's cuttlefish. I think right now it actually is cuttlefish, which I like those better than a little sweeter. Yeah. Uh, and the sunflower. And we cooked the sunflower four ways and the squid three ways and that's it. But it looks like just a taco or a hand roll, you know, whatever it's going to be. And you pick it up and you eat it. And it's just so much flavor. And you're like this little tiny wrapper thing, really like 
there's this much flavor in that. And it's like, yeah, that's the whole point. The cabbage is the other one. It's cabbage in a bowl with some caviar. That's it. But really we take the inside of the cabbage. We juice it, saute the pulp that's left over from juicing, stick it into the outer leaves that are grilled to make little cabbage gyoza, take the juice, clarify it in the cabbage dashi. And then that goes into the bowl. And like, it's this overly thought <laughs> processed out cabbage. But at the end of the day, you take one bite and you're like, what? Really? And constantly. So what's the filling? Cabbage. No, what, what meat? No, cabbage. 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 <laughs> it's all cabbage. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, okay, we've thought about all the details, the textures. We've explored ingredients so much in depth. But then we cook them very simply or seemingly simply. Like the kitchen right now, there's a four burner. There's a deep fryer. There's a flat top plancha grill we don't even really use. It just mm-hmm. kind of sits there and maybe we, like, we used to render duck breasts on it, but we're not even cooking duck right now. So it just kind of sits there until ducks come back. And then a Conroe grill. The Conroe during service is the busiest station in the restaurant because almost everything's coming off of live charcoal grill. Yeah. Obviously, tempura is going in a fryer and then a little bit of the fried squid for the squid dish is going in the fryer. But that's it. Like, that's all we have. We don't have sous vide. We don't have immersion blenders. We don't have immersion circulators. We don't have all the fancy gadgets. There's no Paco Jet here spinning our ice cream to order. Everything is just so simply done. But if you do it right and you pay respect to the ingredient and, yeah, a little bit of salt, fat, and acid, yeah. umami, you know, uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing. What is a dining experience here like? I mean, if, if, it, if a guest is coming in, because I want to say one of the things that I really love is that while the decor is beautiful, I mean, we've got, you know, again, you guys are closed today. You were kind enough to do this episode. You've got the, length, the lights cranked up right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and this would still, for some people, <laughs> I, I can hear my dad right now being like, oh, it's dimly lit. I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, we need to see yeah. a doctor for that. But no, I mean, but when you guys are in service, you showed me before we started recording, yeah. the focus is on the plate. Yeah, that is it. I mean, you 100%. cannot do parties bigger than four because, frankly, the tables will be in the dark. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like the focus is on the plate. It is minimalism down to a beautifully, beautifully constructed tea. Yeah. When a diner comes in, what is the experience like for them? We'll start at the big, like, before they even walk in the door. They pull up to the restaurant. Uh, there's blackout curtains. There's a door you can't see through. Uh, there's some graffiti on the outside, which is really cool. The artist was a really yeah, cool really guy. really looking. Um, and he keeps adding to it, which is awesome. Just a local graffiti artist. But you walk up to the door and you're like, is this place open? Is it closed? Like, I don't know, especially when it's dark outside. Like right now there's sunlight. So you're like, yeah, okay, I get it. Um, You walk in the door and immediately, like even at, let's say it's sunset, you walk in the door and you're like, okay, everything's dark. I can't see. Yeah, it definitely takes, it's gonna take your eyes a minute to adjust for sure. Yeah, and by the time your eyes adjust, somebody greets you. Because uh, we don't even have a host stand right now. It's just like everybody's kind of walking around and, and we want to give you that moment to adjust. Uh, so you immediately hit, get hit with a little bit of shock there. And you're like, okay, what's going on? And then somebody takes you to your table. You sit down. We greet you. We get you the Oshibori so you can wipe your hands, the whole nine. Get you started. You get your drinks. And then food just starts to come out. Because uh, we do either a six or a ten course at the tables right now. Mm-hmm. Um, prepaid through talk. You know, you make reservations. Uh, they'll double check any dietary restrictions, allergies, you know, the important things. Yeah. Um, and then by the time your drink hits, the amuse will come out, which is basically right now a shot of tea. Uh, you'll take the tea. 
And then first course comes out, second course comes out, and you go through all that. And then at the end of the meal, you get up. Depending on how many drinks you had, you pay for your drinks. And then you leave. And if it's still sunlight outside, you get blinded on the way out. (laughs) Uh, But that's kind of intentional for the most part. I mean, the hard part is the front door and the the windows face towards the ocean. Yeah. so when it's sunsetting, like in the, we had to kind of get the blackout curtains because it's bright yeah. in here. Yeah. It blinds everyone. If we lit the sunlight in, it would be not a good experience. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so we're, we can completely black out the restaurant in the middle of the day. That's fine. If we wanted. I mean, there is an error again. I think a lot of people, they think, um, you know, the traditional fine dining and it's, you know, the captain has the table and then the servers mm-hmm. are there, but you know, it's constant attention, constant attention, constant attention. Yep. And this is very, it's, it's, you are meant to be here for the food to experience it. It is not someone supposed to be over your shoulder at all yeah. times. You're like, what do you need? What do you need? Are you okay? Do you mm-hmm. have, like, are you good? Like you want, yeah. How is that? I mean, now the diners kind of, they've been here enough. I mean, mm-hmm. you guys, what you've been open just over two years. Yeah. Okay. People have had enough time to understand the experience. Was that a shock for people initially to be like some yes to some no. Yeah. Uh, for the, those that love that French fine dining, I'm, there's four people. They're mm-hmm. all synchronized. It's all go down at the same time. Put your plates there. Um, a little bit because it seemed a little more human at that mm-hmm. point. Um, really? And yeah, the focus is mostly on the food, on the table. But we didn't want to make it about us being the show, which I feel like happens in a lot of French fine dining. Um, and nothing wrong with that. That's yeah, okay. absolutely. But we wanted the guests to be able to come in and just have a nice night. It's about the guest. It's not about us. It's not even at a certain point. It's not about the food or the yeah. cocktail. Yeah, that needs to be stunning uh, for the most part. But it's about the guest. And if they want us to engage, we notice it and we engage. If they want us to leave them alone because it's their anniversary and they just want to enjoy each other, by all means, that's what's going to happen. Uh, I mean, the, the fine dining aspect, the two tasting menus, which people can make reservations on talk for. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong, you guys are also introducing a more casual element on some of the slower days. Yeah. Uh, so we're close Tuesday, Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, usually it's the last Tuesday of every month, depending kind of what happens. Like obviously October, Tuesday this year was a Halloween. So we yeah. did it the week before. Uh, we do a la carte, bar snack, izakaya. Like there's actual gyoza. There's a curry that's always on the menu. There's uh, a normal tuna sashimi type dish. Um, And then we just kind of get creative. Like this one, next Tuesday, there'll be what's called the Samurai Burger. Uh, It's on the menu at McDonald's Japan, but you don't see it here. So we can do it. Yep, I knew that sounded familiar. Uh, It's like a burnt onion Dijonais, American cheese. We put a little bit of Wagyu fat in the patty. So you get a little extra umami. Uh, I'll make the Japanese milk bread buns for it. And then a hash brown. And it's a really rich, just decadent burger. That's right. And I totally forgot about that. that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You mentioned another concept that you had going on down here. Was that the the chicken sandwiches that mm-hmm. you were doing? The, like yeah. the katsu type of style? And Yeah, we had, uh, it was called nagi. Okay, uh, that's right. Chicken sandwiches, karage. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the focus was our like shiokoji marinated chicken, which was great. Uh, there was the ebi filet again, kind of ripped from McDonald's Japan. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, but panko breaded shrimp, Thousand Island cabbage. We made all our own milk bread. Um, 
we were even doing milk bread as a wholesale bakery for a while. Yeah, we I remember that. A couple of restaurants. We were in Fraser Farms. That's kind of all on pause right now. Uh, Is there kind of any goal to bring that back at some point to give people kind of a... I mean, again, it is as accessible as kind of this is, it's for some people, obviously, that still can be a tough price point. Is there a goal to bring that back to also continue to showcase kind of your passion for Japanese culture? Because, again, I love that every chef, seemingly in the world, all of a sudden launched a sourdough company or at least some form of baking, many yep. of them to great success, especially in Orange County. We have a ton of new businesses just because of that. Yep. But you went and did Japanese milk bread, yep. which was awesome. Um, it kind of became a thing. I mean, Combi was around in LA yeah. for a long time and they had the egg salad sandwich and, you know. Yeah, you um, couldn't go on Instagram without seeing that thing. Yeah, and it was good. It was really good. Uh, but we didn't have really the answer to it down here. So I was like, okay, maybe we'll do that. We started doing our milk bread. Um, that really started in my garage at my house during the pandemic. It was supposed to be Matsu's bread service, which we don't even do bread service at Matsu, uh, which is funny how that ended up. But a friend of mine was like, hey, Everything locked down. All the bakeries are like overwhelmed. They don't have the staff. I can't get burger buns. Like, yeah. Can you just make some for me? I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. fine. <laughs> make some. Um, and ended up getting like three, three or four accounts. And I'm like, I can't bake this much bread. So we went and we bought a big, big old oven, which is what Matsu uses now. Uh, got a big old mixer and just like set up a bakery in my garage during the pandemic and was like, I guess we make this happen. Nice. Um, did it. We even sold bread to Sean Brock at one point, which was really cool. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. And it kind of just became this monster. And then it grew so big that like U.S. Foods wanted us and some big restaurant groups. And we're just like, all right, we've outgrown because we were baking in Matsu overnight. We, we outgrew it. Yeah. Um, so we looked at scaling it up. Um, it didn't make sense financially at the moment. So we kind of were just like, all right, we're going to kind of slow down, get a game plan, and then, yeah, it will come back later. Nice. Uh, chicken sandwich, maybe, maybe not. I mean, it's never off the table. Yeah. Uh, it was a super easy concept to do. Five sandwiches, three sides. I mean, it was an in-and-out concept. Yeah. Real, at the end yeah, of the Yeah, realistically, day. it was keeping it just uh, that small. And again, minimalism. Yeah. So overhead was low. We just... You know, maybe wrong location, maybe just the times. It could be a million things. So uh, we put it on pause, and if it comes back later, cool. If it doesn't, sorry. Yeah, on all good. You had a, yeah, you had your moment. Yeah. <laughs> well, with an effort on minimalism, what is it like for your staff? Because, again, I have to imagine that there's, for instance, how many people are you running on the floor during, like, a Saturday service? Uh, right now, five, six. Okay, like so that, that is... Minimal. I mean, because this yep. is, if I'm looking at this at a glance, I want to say you're doing, what, 46 seats, something like uh, you're that? You're close. 48. 48, 48 all okay. in. Uh, 40 at the tables. Good eyeball. Five you points have, for me. Right? Uh, 40 at the tables, six at the bar, two chef counter. Um, for some reason, if we don't have chef counter, we'll push those over to the bar and have eight at the bar. Got it. Okay. Uh, but 40, 40 all in at the tables. Um, yeah, I mean, a Max, 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 when we've gone like crazy busy, it's maybe eight out front. Um, and then three cooks myself and a dishwasher, and that's it. Okay, so you're really taking the minimalism thing pretty damn far. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean it's, like, it's dialed in. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, yeah. that is, yeah, that's a light 
Yeah, that's a light crew yeah. for this type of experiential dining. I, mean, I we even sent one of our cooks over to another restaurant, um, and just down the street, and like, we're like, hey, go do a stage there. He's like, okay, okay, because uh, the chef there's just phenomenally talented. Yeah, um, and he he's just like, hey, I just want to go learn for a day somewhere. Can you set it up? I'm like, so I called them. Uh, he said they had six prep cooks, uh, two cooks per station during service, plus sous chef, plus <laughs> chef, plus CDC, <laughs> plus, plus, plus. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> I'd, if we had that many here, we'd just be like shoulder to shoulder all day. We wouldn't know what to do. No, you'd probably be getting less stuff done. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Well, with that type of, I mean, and I want to ask about the power. I wanted to ask about that because as we wind this episode down, I want to ask about kind of the back of the house, those two dishes that you mentioned are, I mean, they're love letters to the ingredients and yeah. they're love letters to minimalism and a focus on execution and just really doing something as well as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. By that same token, that is, I mean, that sounds like a fair amount of work. I mean, how much prep are you doing? I mean, like what, how, how long, from one of those dishes, let's take the cabbage dish, yeah. start to finish, mm-hmm. concept to plate, how long does that thing take to put together? <sighs> cabbage if we go start to finish i am hour and a half two hours maybe okay uh a lot of it is like the dashi we don't take on most of our dashis over 155 160 degrees got it okay Um, because after that you kind of kill off a lot of the umami and start bringing in bitter flavors um and like really really subtle bitter flavors Mm -hmm. uh so it's about like letting that go like a tea as long and slow as possible so a lot of that is kind of the inactive cooking time. If you wanted to go as fast as possible, you could probably get it done in half an hour to an hour, maybe. Uh, the squid one takes quite a bit more work. Uh, just the sauce is probably two hours. The squid little sheets that we make is probably another 30 minutes. Like there, there's a lot. And a lot of it yeah. you can have going on at once. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's... If we have to start from scratch for the week, uh, my two chefs in by 9 30, 10 o'clock. I'm usually here 8 39. Uh, and then the two other guys come in at two, mm-hmm. and then we're ready by service at four. That's pretty damn good. Uh, the last thing I want to ask is because, uh, again, I, we're going to do a bonus episode, which people can find over on Patreon because I have a bunch more questions that I want to ask. But the last one that I want to ask for this main episode is. For people that have not dined here, um, again, this show is based in Orange County. I made it here today, middle of the day on Tuesday, in I don't know, 25 minutes from where I live, um, and I'm kind of like middle county. So I've said this I said this when I had Danny Castillo on when they were opening Heritage Beer, um, and I've said this to a lot of people before. There's really no excuse not to get down here. I love the drive. Yep. I love that Pendleton breaks it up, so mm-hmm. you do feel like you're traveling somewhere else. It's not like, no, look, I love L.A., but you're never not in a neighborhood next to a strip mall, next to a shopping center, next to a, it's just, there's no breakup. Yeah. I mean, I love long beach to death, but I love the little break of Pendleton. Mm -hmm. It makes it feel like you're going somewhere else. Yeah. For people that have not been, um, or maybe they, you know, Oh, I don't really like Japanese food. You know, or I just like, I don't really know it. I don't, you know, they're nervous about it. Mm -hmm. What would be your kind of sales pitch to be like, Hey, like we're going to take your preconceived notions and we're going to really, really switch them around. Um, you, you have two options, really. I mean, I just understand that, yeah, we do a lot of fish, but most of it is cooked. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it right now happens to be crustaceans, you know, squid, mm-hmm. um, 
stuff like that, uh, cephalopods. Uh, we do offer a vegan menu for those that need that. Um, the only thing we can't really accommodate for the most part is gluten allergies because I use about 18 different soy sauces. <laughs> so it's like they're very specific <laughs> ones. One's got cherry infused into it. One's got, you know, whiskey barrel aged. One's a, you know, XYZ, one, yeah. two, three. Um, that or, I mean, really, if you're just kind of driving down and we happen to be open that day, sit at the bar. There's a la carte snacks. Try one. Just try one. There's tempura shrimp on there. That's pretty That's easy pretty approachable. Yeah. Um, and we've had people do that. Even the locals here in Oceanside. Oh, I don't want to spend the big money. You know, I don't want. Yep. I'm, I'm a little wary. They come, they sit at the bar, and more times than not, they go through the whole menu anyways. Uh, but that's what the bar's for. Yeah, yep. it's only six seats, and maybe it fills up fast one day. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, but that's what it's there for. A la carte, sneak in, cocktail, grab a shrimp, grab a you know sunflower squid dish, and then go to your next thing. Explore yeah. the town because there's so many good restaurants here. You could go here. Yeah, you are. could go see Danny at Heritage and yep. get his insane burger that he does. You can go to Valle and their bar and sneak in and get a snack there. And then you can go to even Mission has what, 250 plus whiskey still. Mm-hmm. Uh, swing by Deja, swing by all these places. Yeah, yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. There really are some bangers down here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful town for foodies. Yeah, <laughs> it really so is. Good. I mean, yeah. If you even consider yourself a foodie in the least, owe it to yourself and either come down for a day, come down for a weekend and just eat and drink. Yeah. I mean, you said it took, what, 25 minutes, 30 minutes to yeah. get down here. It takes me longer because I live in Oceanside. It takes me longer to go downtown San Diego than it does to go to Orange County. Yeah, absolutely. Every single time. 100%. Well, Chef, like I said, we're going to do a bonus episode, but we're going to wrap down this main episode. Um, I want to thank you for the time, especially, again, being able to swing into the restaurant on the day off. Um, I'm sorry we weren't able to do it yesterday, but this is one that I've had on the back of my mind for a long time. I'm so excited we were able to do it. Um, And yeah, again, people can find the the bonus episode over on Patreon because there's going to be some really fun questions that I've been thinking about all episode long that I want to ask. But in the meantime, if people do want to learn more about you, maybe follow you in the restaurant Mm -hmm. on social media. Um, You mentioned reservations can be done through talk. So people can go find the restaurant there. But if people want to learn more about yourself and the restaurant, where can people do that at? Instagram is probably the best place, realistically. Uh, My Instagram is Chef William Ike, uh, E-I-C-K is the last name, or Eat Matsu. is our handle on there uh those are pretty much what we use for the most part yeah um yeah i mean that's pretty pretty much the easiest way to figure it out awesome and as always those links are in the show notes so wherever you're listening just click through and you can find them well chef once again thank you so much man thank Um, you the future is very very bright for this restaurant even if internally it's not sometimes (laughs) (laughs) we like our cave thank you brother Thank you. Thank you so much to Chef again for taking the time to sit down. Um, I really do mean it. I, wherever you are listening to the show, whether you're in Orange County where the show is based or you're somewhere else surrounding it, make a reservation and go experience this restaurant for yourself. If you care about eating well in the slightest, you owe it to yourself to go eat this food and experience this restaurant. It's a special one, and I am so grateful that I got to share it with you all. Thank you very much to my advertising partners. Thank you to everybody who supports on Patreon, whether you're at Norm Status or any of the other tiers. Each and every dollar goes back into this business, and you make this possible each and every 
every time. It really means the world to me, all of your support. If you're listening on free feeds, please consider share, uh, consider sharing on social media. Like I said, it helps other folks discover it. Leave ratings, reviews, whatever you want. Even bad ones. I'll take the constructive criticism. It's all good. Thank you to everybody. Enjoy Thanksgiving if you're listening to this before. If you're listening to this post, I hope it was wonderful. And whatever holidays you got coming up, I hope you enjoy them. It's going to be a fun end of the year, and I'll see you soon. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. It's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash The Best Seats. The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. John Sanchez, Paige Reardon, Loco Lipo, Eric Lutz, Burrito No Rito, Sasha Lyons, Jay Baker, Subtle Bubbles, Burgermeister, It Ain't Easy Being Greasy, Tim Swine. Thank you for your support.